Hey, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Of Everyone Has a Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 171, TV Moms. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, how are you, my friend? Very well, Chris. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well. What's new in pop culture in your world? So I had a chance to, um, to no, no surprise, I had a chance to watch a documentary this week. Oh, you did? I did. 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries, he likes to learn about the world, it's Derek's documentary. Documentary. What was your documentary this week? All right. So uh, let me let me just preface this a little bit. Sure. So part of the reason I like documentaries so much is I like, as the song says, I like to learn about things. I like documentaries that are on topics that maybe I don't know a lot about, Mm -hmm. but I find interesting or a topic that I think I maybe know a little bit about, but would like to learn more about, or a topic that maybe I think I'm an expert on, but someone does a documentary and presents a different point of view. For, you like to learn about the world. Sake. Absolutely. Yeah. And from time to time, uh, I'm going to watch a documentary on something that I know very little about or mm. or nothing about. And, and then, you know, in the 90 minutes of the documentary, I, I get the crash course. Obviously, this is not going to make me an expert in this topic. This is going to give me the bullet points. This is this is the Coles notes, the Cliffs notes version of whatever this particular topic happens to be. And for me, it's like it's an introduction, right? If it's something I don't know anything about or something I'm not an expert on, it, it's an opportunity for me to to broaden my horizons and start to learn more about it. And the challenge is that sometimes there's a topic or topics that maybe you probably should know more about. And or or in my case, a topic that maybe I should know more about. And then seeing a documentary on the topic, I'm like, oh, like, you know, it sort of opens your eyes a little bit more. Uh, And that's what happened this week. And then I took a lot of crap from my wife about it after. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. So the documentary is called This Changes Everything. Okay. So this week was uh, International Women's Day fell during the course between our last episode and this this episode. Mm -hmm. And. All day on uh, HBO and Crave here in Canada, they showed a whole bunch of films that featured uh, female performers, female directors, female writers. And there was a a number of documentaries about the women's role in the media, in Hollywood, behind the scenes, in front of the camera, as performers and all the rest of that. And this this is one of these documentaries. And unfortunately, this is the only one I, I happen to catch. It's called This Changes Everything. It was from 2018. And I'll just read you the little blurb here in the IMDb. It says it's about it's an investigative look and analysis of gender disparity in Hollywood, featuring accounts from well-known actors, executives, and artists in the industry. Again, this is a topic that... I don't necessarily know a ton about, but I probably should. And I thought this documentary did a very good job of hitting those Cole's notes. Like it hit the bullet points and it, it really, it it opened my eyes to a lot of the things that I sort of was pretty aware of or suspected was going on, but to see like firsthand examples and to have a lot of data be thrown at you, like, like anything else, people can have their opinion, but when it's backed up by data and numbers, that always seems to give it more credibility. So I watched this documentary and it blew me away. Just some of the things that were there were way worse than I would have ever expected. And perhaps as a white man who has grown up with a tremendous amount of privilege, it's unfortunate that I wasn't aware of some of these problems and issues. Um, I'd like to think that I haven't been a cause of any of these problems or issues, but you know, who knows? But in any case, so I'm telling my wife about this after I watched it and she's like giving me crap. Like, yeah, I know this. Yeah. You, you sound like an idiot telling me about this. And it's like, I'm trying to share with her that, that I found this topic interesting and I'm 
learning about it and it's it's made me want to look up and learn more about it beyond with this documentary and again i I understand totally where she's coming from. She's like, yeah, as a guy, you just, you're not aware of this. As a woman, she's saying like, I'm already aware of this. You don't have to tell me about it. And so I found myself in this weird spot where I was like, how do I express my enthusiasm and my enjoyment of this documentary and and that I'm now trying to learn more about it, but not come off sounding like an idiot. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to figure that out. I just keep sound like I'm coming off like an idiot. So for all the guys out there, if you want to watch this this documentary, I recommend it. I mean, I recommend it to everybody, but according to my wife, she's like, I don't think that necessarily women are going to get a lot more out of this that they don't already know. They're going to watch it and sort of keep nodding and going, yeah, uh-huh, for sure. Of course that's happening. Yeah, uh-huh. And even as a guy, I'm sort of watching it going, yeah, this doesn't necessarily surprise me, especially because they went back to like, I think the mid forties for some of their data and like, it's, it's staggering. Um, but in any case, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, it was both eye-opening and incredibly sad that so many women have had to put up with so much crap from so many guys who don't want to give up power and don't want to allow change. But the one thing that it does, uh, you know, start to, to show is that progress is happening. It's certainly not happening as fast or as qu- as quickly uh, as it probably should, or or as broad-reaching as it should. But change is happening. So, guys. Mm-hmm. Take a look, watch the doc, and do your part, and help out wherever you can. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I mentioned last week uh, that we had some new listeners to the podcast that were wondering how we came up with the name of the show. And so I played a song that I wrote called Pop Goes Your World. So here's the thing to any new listeners, and, I, and I'm freely willing to admit this. I'm old and I'm really lame. <laughs> Just listen to my dad jokes every week. It's just, that's total proof. But the thing is, like, I try to be really, you know, cool and hip to the younger generation. It's becoming clear to me, though, that I'm just the lame old guy that yells at kids to get off my lawn and hates all new stuff. So that's pretty clear. Um, I don't think I'm convincing anyone that I'm young and hip. Do you think that's a fair assumption to make, Derek? Uh, like I just said with my documentary, uh, yeah, Yeah. we should already know this about you. So, yeah. So I, I think it's maybe best if I just embrace my strengths, you know, and realize that I love Gen X pop culture and everything new is just crappy. So I thought, what better way to let people know how much I love Gen X pop culture than through the gift of song? Oh boy, here we go. (laughs) So I'd like to debut for you right now, right here on the show, my new song all about how Gen X is the best. And oh, and by the way, Derek, you had mentioned that some of my previous songs that I've written have a bit of a reggae feel. I was just about to ask you that. I'm like, Chris, does this have a reggae influence like so many of your other songs? So I decided to go a different way. So so I, I, I broke out my Les Paul and I cranked up the distortion. And I decided to rock out with my new song. No drums, nothing. It's just me and the Les Paul rocking out. And my new song is appropriately titled Gen X is the Best. Here it is. Gen X is the best. 
What do you think? I, I think that's my favorite of all the songs you've ever done on this show. Really? Even if I don't necessarily agree with the lyrics. Right. I, I, I think that's the best one you've done so far. I might oh. have sped it up just a little bit. I think if it was a little quicker, yeah. it'd be perfect. It's Probably like, need the drums in there, and I need a band. Uh, not even. I mean, I give it an A-, minus, but mm -hmm. I think if it was just sped up a little bit, it would go mm -hmm. from an A- minus to an A. Oh, I'll just maybe have to work on the beats per minute on that one, but I'm glad you like it. I knew you wouldn't agree with the lyrics because you like new stuff. I just like all the old stuff. So, Hey, I'm not saying I don't like the old <laughs> stuff. I'm just yeah. saying, I don't think you're giving new stuff a fair shake and uh, you know, you got to be open-minded. And at the beginning of the song, once, uh, once you started singing the lyrics, I don't know if you could hear my eyes rolling, but I was doing it pretty hard into the mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what it was. It was in time to the music. So it just yeah, it worked yeah, so yeah. well. You know, I, I think I'm just, I'm coming to peace with the fact that I'm a lame old dad who just hates the new generation. And I tell lame dad jokes. So in that note, uh, here goes. Here's your dad joke of the week. Now, I figured since we're doing TV moms this week, I thought I should do a mom dad joke, if that makes any sense. It does. Okay. I'm kind of afraid to know where this is going, but. Okay, Derek, yeah. what did the mommy bullet say to the daddy bullet when she found out she was pregnant? Ah, shit. No, she didn't say no, that. Okay. She said, we're going to have a BB. Yeah. My yes. answer was better. <laughs> it was, I think, actually. Let's go back and do it again. A little Canadian show called Shit's Creek. You can say Shit's Creek, but you can't say Wow, you are really dating yourself here, bud. Shit's Creek is awesome as What are you talking about? Have you not seen Ryan Reynolds' film career? Apparently my son has no soul. Just love You're not recording this, are you? No, no, never. Like, that's that's criminal. I know. <laughs> we basically have the same bone structure. From the waist up, I presume. Most people won't question it. It's all ball bearings now. I just like to point out that we're about 12 minutes into the podcast, and we've said shit about... 12 times. So we're averaging about one shit a minute. Just, just, right. you know. Okay. Okay. So being the Gen Xer that I am, you know, as you could tell by my song, you know, I think myself and a lot of my generational cohorts grew up in front of a TV set, you know, and rightly or wrongly, this is where we learned a lot about life, right? So I think it's where a lot of us look to for role models or for our views about the world. And it kind of defined how we saw other people and especially how different families behaved. And as a result, a lot of Gen Xers formed an opinion about what makes a quote unquote normal family, you know, based on television. And along the way, we all got acquainted with more than a few TV moms. And so this week, we'd like to do our top five list of our favorite TV moms of all, of all time. Uh, Derek, this was actually your idea for this topic this week. So maybe you can explain, first of all, why you felt this would be a good idea for us to talk about here. Well, really, I want it echoes what you just said. We, we have all grown up with TV and the predominantly with sitcoms, you have the family dynamic where it's fat husband, skinny wife, a couple of kids and you know, hilarity ensues and you, you get your life lessons. And that formula continues to work and has continued to work through the decades, through the generations. You, you can see examples of this in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, right up to today. This formula still works. And I'll bet if you went through and examined a lot of the, the sitcoms of the day and you sort of looked at the topics that they talk about, there's probably a lot of the same issues that have been readdressed show to show decade to decade and it's just now got a more modern spin based on you know how society has changed over time obviously there are going to be topics that they that we that you would deal with in shows that are on today that just wouldn't have been applicable say in the 60s or 70s and likewise i'm sure there were issues in the 60s and 70s that today would be laughable there wouldn't be no reason to have uh um shows based on it but the the mother characters always um it was always an important role uh, when the mother was present, because there's an incredible amount of shows where there's a lot of dads and there's a lot of male role models and the mom is sort of either not present, like say something like Full House, where you've basically got three dads and no mom, uh, or you have shows where the mother is 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 named or is labeled or is around, but doesn't really have a significant role. And that, that again, it sort of is a different type of dynamic. So in the ones where you actually have the quote unquote nuclear family with the mom, the dad and the kids, 
um, you know, the mom often brought a very interesting perspective to it. And, and that perspective has certainly changed over time as, as the role, as the gender roles have changed, as women's roles in, in the home and in the workforce and in society in general have changed. And so I thought this would be an interesting topic to look at because I suspect your list is going to be predominantly 60s, 70s, 80s. And I knew my list was probably going to be mostly, you know, maybe some 80s, 90s and 2000s. So I figured between us, we would probably cover a pretty wide stretch of of television era and be able to to go back and forth and talk about what we thought was good, what we thought was bad, why these TV moms are are important. Um, uh, yeah, and that I figured this was a good good stepping stone, and we'll see how our mom episodes mm-hmm. goes. And if uh, if we have a good time with this one and it seems to resonate well, maybe we come back down the road and we do TV dads. But yeah, you know, let's not sure. get ahead of ourselves. Let's of start course. with the TV moms. If we don't get canceled before then, right? Yeah, uh, you touch base on something before we get into our top five list. You touch base on something just now. I want. I just want to circle back to. So you had mentioned about sort of the fat dad, skinny mom formula. There seems to be a general rule of thumb when it comes to casting TV shows that the mom is always too hot for the dad. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, I always thought this was just a case, you know, of, of adult sitcoms, but it's not because my kids have been watching a lot of these. Um, they have like these sitcoms geared for kids, you know, like back in the day, there was one, there was like saved by the bell, right? Well, now sure. there's all these like kids sitcom shows and my kids watch one especially oh there's one called Henry Danger I think and the other one especially is called Good Luck Charlie I know because I've seen them watch it let me tell you the moms are way too hot for the dads like there's no way these schlubs would ever land a woman that good looking or with that you know just got it together that much but uh anyway, or, so or it, that or more importantly that the woman would settle for a guy but, that yeah, looks like, like this that. And not no, only that, that he doesn't look good or he's overweight, he's like just a schlub. He's a loser. And like, why is she with this guy? And it's, it makes no sense. She's so good looking and she's like this career woman. And she's got it together and she's with this idiot. So I don't know. It's an ongoing thing. But um, I have another thing. So we obviously do top five lists every third show, you know, in between our movie reviews. We try. We try. Yeah. Yep. So I have a question for you. When you're constructing your lists for top fives, do you do it piecemeal or do you try to keep in mind sort of the bigger picture of what your overall list will look like sort of as a whole? What do you, what do you mean piecemeal? Like, like, do you just like, like, do you just go to and say, okay, this is what I think is number one. This is what I think is number two, number three, number four, number five, and walk away. Or do you try to put together the whole list so that the list kind of reflects, you know, maybe something or has a different, a certain feel to it overall as a, as a, as a, as a bigger picture. Okay. I see where you're going. You know what I mean? So I do, I do. Yeah. So nine times out of 10, what I do is once we land on a topic, I immediately just start to write down names. So like I'll use the TV moms, for example, I immediately pulled out a sheet of paper and wrote down 10 or 12 TV moms just off the top of my head, whether I thought they were going to be on my list or not, just started writing them down. Then I sort of looked at the list and there was two or three that I thought these are going to make the list. Like these are strong choices. And then I usually go to the internet and I say like, who are some popular TV moms? And then I found a list of like the 200 most popular TV moms ever. And I start scrolling through a list. Cause there's always one or two that you're like, Oh yeah, of course. How could I forget that person? And then again, I, I make the list. Usually I get for a top five list. I usually end up with a list of about 20. And then from that, I whittle it down to my top five, six, seven. And then from there, I, I rank it. And usually I keep adjusting the order until we're pretty much ready to go. In fact, I have six on my list as we speak. And I think I'm just going to make number six a quick honorable mention. But I was I may want to put six into the number five slot. I still haven't decided. Well, the reason I, I bring it up is I usually put together my list piecemeal. Like it's, it's very unsystematic. You know, I just go through one at a time. I figure out who I think is number one, number two. And then, you know, we obviously run them backwards, you know, to leave the best for last. But I, I've, I've never really looked at my lists as a bigger picture. But this week, once I constructed my list and I sat back and I actually looked at it, I was kind of pleased to see that three of my top five moms were women of color. Because I don't think these moms get enough representation in pop culture, especially Gen X. Um, but they probably represent the best of what a great mom should be, you know, and, and I think we're going to get into that more as we go into my list. So and yeah, I agree. And I was asking. So, okay. Number five, uh, TV mom of all time for you personally, Derek, who do you got? 
Okay, I'll give you my honorable mention. Okay, yes, please. And please. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick the beehive here right out of the gate with mm -hmm. my honorable mention is Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Now I'm not saying she's the best mom, and I'm not saying she's my favorite mom, but you got to think of all the things she did, motivated by the fact that she wanted to be the best possible mother to her children. Now certainly she is the villain of the Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. But think about it from her, you know, the villain never sees himself as the villain. And so I really struggled to not put her in my top five. So that's my honorable mention is uh, Lena Headley, who plays Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Honorable mention. Interesting. You got any honorable okay. mentions before I jump into the list? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. I'm pretty okay. happy with my list. Okay. So uh, I my number five is Kitty Foreman, played by Deborah Jo Rupp from That 70s Show. Okay. Chris, did you ever watch that 70s show? I, it, this is going to surprise you because it's about the 70s. So you think I would be digging on this show. Never really watched it. I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of it. Wow. Yeah, I, I, never I mean, really dig, didn't really dig on it. So it, it was one of those. So it ran from 1998 to 2006. It ran mm -hmm. for eight seasons. Actually, that's one thing I noticed when I was doing the, the notes on my things here is all of the TV moms that I picked were on shows that ran for at least eight seasons, including Cersei Lannister from the honorable mention here. So anyway. My number five, Kitty Foreman from uh, That 70s Show. Um, so she is the uh, the mother of the... So the 70s show is mainly about the kids, the teenagers. And right. the, the majority of the show takes place in the Foreman household. So she's the mom of the kids whose house all the stuff happens in. And so she is in just about, if not every episode. She obviously is a supporting character. She's not the main character of the show. Um, they depict her as, you know, the caring mother, the caretaker for the community. All the kids are always at her house, so she's always looking out for them. She's like, you know, the biological mother to the two children, but the extended mother to the other children in the neighborhood. Um, I think one of the things that really, um, that I felt was an important evolution of this character was in the in, towards the end of the first season, uh, one of the characters, one of the the uh, the character Stephen Hyde, who's the best friend of the son, uh, his parents basically abandon him, and it's the mom Kitty who basically says to her husband Red that they need to take this kid in, even though they already have two kids of their own, and even though maybe money's a little tight, she she recognizes that this teenage boy needs parents in his life, and she makes the point of saying. We have to take him in. We are going to bring this kid into our life. I mean, it's not a, a quote unquote official adoption. And I mean, the kid's probably 15 or 16 years old at the time. So it's not like they got to wipe his butt or anything. But again, I thought that was an important distinction that the decision to do this was one that the mom had made. Now, she's also again, the show was uh, on TV in the late 90s and early 2000s, but it's supposed to take place in the 70s. So in the 70s, the mom is uh She's a nurse. Her profession is a nurse. Um, but we also see that she smokes and she's got a bit of a drinking problem, which, again, sort of an interesting juxtaposition of the show where they did a lot of stuff that we know is bad now, but in the time would have been totally acceptable, as we talk about in a lot of our movie reviews with yeah. the smoking and the drinking and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, I, I just I found that her character is, in my mind, a, a great TV mom. She she. You know, being the nurse and the caregiver professionally, as well as being the mom and the, the you know, the pseudo mom for the kids in the neighborhood. Whenever they have problems, she's there. And it's like she's not just a pushover that they can, you know, run stuff past. Like she's often play plays the character as sort of like a, a dim witted airhead. But it's clear that she's not. And, the, you know, the, in the situations where push comes to shove, like she puts her foot down and they listen. And, uh, no, I thought she was a good example of the kind of mom that my that i had that my friends had like you know growing up so that's my number five pick kitty foreman from that nice. 70s show before i get into my list <clears throat> i should mention something so a little while ago my wife out of the blue says to me i i should come on your podcast and i'm like oh okay she's never shown any interest she's never listened to a single episode of this podcast i'm glad Jeez, that that's good for you <laughs> sometimes <clears throat> hearing all my terrible singing but so out of the blue, she's like, I, I should come on your show. I'm like, oh, well, you don't even really like movies. Every time we put a movie, I can fall asleep. Like, I mean, what would you want to talk about? And she's like, well, give me an example of a topic. And I said, well, I don't know. Maybe we would do like movie musicals, which is a topic we have not done on the podcast, by the way. <clears throat> and I said, well, maybe we would do movie musicals. What would you say would be your top movie musical of all time, honey? And she's like, Dirty Dancing. And I said, that's not a musical. 
<laughs> this is why you're not coming on the podcast. Okay. And she, and then it kind of died with that. It kind of went away. <clears throat> and then this week, uh, just tonight, before I was coming into the studio, she's like, well, what are you doing your podcast on tonight? Say hi to Derek for me. She likes you, Derek. She, and she's like, say hi to Derek. Well, what are you doing your show on? And I said, we're doing it on uh, TV mom. She's like, oh my God, why wouldn't you have me on? I'm a mom. You should have me on to do this. I'm like, you show no interest in this podcast <laughs> whatsoever. So I don't know. I guess we shouldn't tell her that we've had your wife on before. She'll kill me. So anyway, uh, my number five. I mentioned that I recently started watching some old shows on that smart TV that I got for Christmas. And one of the shows that I'm watching is What's Happening. Derek, have you ever seen that show? Not a single episode, but I am aware of the show. It's older. It ran from 76 to 79. And I remember watching it as a little kid. And it's a show about these three teenage friends, Raj, Dwayne, and Rerun. And they hang out after school at this diner. And they get into all these situations. And it's, it's really just about having friends, you know, at that age. And, but there's also a part of the show that happens at home. And Raj has a sister, D. She's this sarcastic kid. She's a pain in the butt. And then there's Mama, Mama Thomas, played by Mabel King, the one and only Mabel King. And I mentioned her the other week on the show when I was talking about the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. And she was in that movie and she played his mother. There was the scene when he finds out that he's not black. And, mm. and so she says to him, son, I'd love you if you were the color of a baboon's which is the best line in the movie, hands down. But anyway, she also plays Mama Thomas in What's Happening, and she's number five on my list. If this was a list of the most sort of headstrong and strongest women, she'd probably be number one. She's the single mom of two. She has to work mostly nights, as well as being away days. She's got like two jobs. And she's got this precocious and really difficult daughter. She's raising, raising this teenage son who gets into all kinds of trouble. And as a result, she has to be tough as nails just in order to keep it all together. And she basically, she, it, the way it struck me was she, she lives this life that seems to be pretty much devoid of any fun or any relaxation or any enjoyment almost every minute of every day. But she does it for one reason and one reason only, because she wants to give her kids a better life than what she's had. And for a show from the 70s or even today, I think it's a powerful message and, and one that hasn't always been depicted on TV. And like you just mentioned, you know, I, I too came from a family that was middle class, no real worries about money. There were no issues with crime or poverty. So it was powerful for me to watch this as a kid and it's something that's always kind of stuck with me over the years. And whenever I think of a really strong, resilient woman who will do whatever it takes just to hold a family together, I always think of Mabel King as Mama Thomas. And that's why she's number five on my list. So nice. on to your pick. number four. All right. So that's sort of a good segue. So my number okay. four pick mm -hmm. for TV Mom is Roseanne Connor, played by Roseanne Barr on oh, yes. The Roseanne Show. Right. Uh, and I'm talking about the original run. I haven't known anything about the new run. And I know that she's in more recent times run into some issues. And let's not worry about that. Yeah. I'm not not to this dismiss it. This is before she was a Nazi. Just, right. Yeah, before, yeah. I'm just okay. I want to focus on right. the heart of what the original character on the original show was like. So gotcha. the original show ran for nine seasons before it then got renewed for the next generation or whatever they're calling the new show ran from 1988 to 1997, nine seasons. Um, so Roseanne uh, was, so this was an interesting show at an interesting time because you got to think of what was on TV at the time. You had things like family ties where it was, you know, um, people that were like, I think on family ties, wasn't the, the, the parents both had pretty good jobs so that they, you know, they lived in a nice house and, and that was pretty typical of, of shows at the time. And then you've got Roseanne and she basically takes her stand up routine of this bossy, loud, overweight, dominant woman and puts her as the head of a household where everybody else in the household is, you know, the same. It's like, these are depicted as average people. Like you hear the joke, it's like, we want TV ugly, not ugly, ugly. And the Roseanne show was sort of the first time I ever saw a show where you weren't looking at it. It wasn't just a cast of supermodels. These were people that could very well be real people. And more importantly to that, it was 
a show about, you know, blue collar family where they didn't have a lot of money. The mom at the start of the show, she worked in a factory, but very quickly into the run of the show, she lost her job. So they were taught there was a lot of the show dealt with the hardships of poverty. The fact that both the parents were overweight, the fact that they, they didn't have the perfect marriage. Um, it was a show that really seemed to uh, contradict what was being shown in every other show at the time. And so for like for that, it's, I thought this is a really important addition to the list. And that's not to say that, that her character was the perfect mother, but it was very clear that despite all of these uh, obstacles that was presented in front of her, she was always trying to do whatever it took to make things right, to, to, to make the lives of her children better. And that's what I think one of the things you, you were going to keep repeating over and over with all of these moms is the moms clearly are doing whatever they can for the betterment of their family and their household. And I think the character of Roseanne Connor on the Roseanne show, you know, did that as well as any other mom, but was sort of one of the first to display it on a mainstream primetime TV with huge ratings that had a huge audience that people could relate to. Um, you know, you often hear people say like, especially for, for people of color and women, well, I don't have anybody on the big screen on TV that reflects me. And when they finally have that opportunity where they see someone that looks like them, it gives them a very strong connection. And I think that was one of the big successes of, of you know, why the show was so successful so quickly is here's a real life person. Here's a person that looks like an average person you would meet, someone who could very well work in the factory down the street or live next to you. And here are the kids that are average looking kids that have real life kinds of problems. And so I think that uh, for, for me, I got Roseanne at number four. I think she's an important addition to this list. No, I think it's good. Um, my number five I mentioned was Mabel King. And if if she was a woman of color who raised her kids in poverty and did everything she could, you know, to hold her family together in good and bad, then I would say that she learned everything that she knew from the trailblazer of all trailblazers. And that was Florida Evans, my number four, the mother on Good Times, played by Esther Roll. So as a bit of a segue, I should mention, back in the 70s, this was the time of the TV spinoff. So yes. for anyone that doesn't know what the hell a spinoff is... They used to take popular shows and then, you know, give some of the characters their own show in what was called a spinoff. So, for example, Happy Days was really popular and it was so popular, it spun off into Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, and of course, Joni Loves Chachi. You know, boy, that one sucked. But um, but before the Happy Days spinoffs, All in the Family was the most popular show on television in the United States of America. And they introduced this character called Maude. It was Edith's, Edith's cousin. And then she got her own show with B. Arthur in the title role. And then Maude had a maid, Florida Evans. And then she got spun off into Good Times. So um, it was sort of a spinoff of a spinoff, the first one of those, I guess. Now, when they spun off Good Times, they tinkered with the details a bit because in Maude, Florida's husband was named Henry and he was a firefighter in New York. And they changed his name to James. They moved the family to Chicago for good times. But anyway, the show is all about the struggles of raising, you know, this black family in the 70s, dealing with issues like poverty and injustice and, and systemic racism. And at the center of all this social commentary that the show was trying to, you know, put out there was this mom trying to hold her family together. And at one point, I think it was in season three, it was early in the run, they killed off James. So then she's left to raise this family alone. And as I mentioned before, like I, as a kid in the 70s, you know, you know, I was watching the show from my small town in Ontario, Canada. Like I didn't really internalize a lot of the struggles that people could have, you know, with these kind of issues. It was something kind of foreign to me. But it was also something that stayed with me. And when I think of a mom... Not just a mom, but almost like a super mom. I think Florida Evans. Like what she had to go through in order to provide for her family. Well, I think it was nothing short of inspiring. So she's number four on my list. So on to your number three. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, it's not a show that I really ever watched. It was a little before my time, but uh, from what I know of it, I, I think that's a pretty good pick. And you mentioned Maude. I actually was considering putting her on the list too. But again, I've only seen a couple episodes of the show, but the ones I have seen... Um, she's certainly a strong 
female character and, and could certainly have made the list. But the, the challenge I had with this list was I didn't really want to put any TV moms on here from shows that I wasn't intimately right. familiar with that I didn't watch all, if not every episode, most episodes. I want to be able to speak knowledgeably about it, which unfortunately I think did limit my options, especially with some of those older shows. But I knew you'd have that part covered. So, and, and that's the thing that we do every week, like when we do these lists. You know, like it's like our what we bring to it. You know, they're our personal yeah. lists, right? So, yeah, for sure. People just hopefully relate to them. So, okay, number three, uh, TV right. mom. Who do you so, got? number three, uh, my number three pick is Claire Huxtable, played by Felicia Rashad from oh. The Cosby Show. Well, before you go any further, I should mention. My number three is Claire Huxtable from The Cosby Show as well. So we can do this oh, one together. Go. Number three. Okay, good, cool. good call. So uh, Claire Huxtable, uh, so The Cosby Show ran for eight seasons from 1984 to 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first time that I think America, a lot of people, myself included, because I would have only been 10 years old when this first started on the air, was this was the first time we really saw a black family of professionals. The dad was a doctor. The mom was a lawyer. And they lived in a beautiful big house that had all this fantastic art. And like, they were clearly well off. They were, you know, they weren't like the family in the shows that you just talked about, Ooh, where yeah, it's the ones that I know, just mentioned in the ghetto and yeah. they're struggling to make ends meet. Like these parents are doing pretty well for themselves. They are professionals. They are, are taken seriously, even though it's a comedy show. Um, it, it was an interesting depiction to say, here are people of color that are, are the stars of this show and they are doing just fine in the money department. Like this is not something that we had really ever seen before. And uh, obviously uh, at the time, Bill Cosby being who he was, had the juice to put this, this kind of a thing on the air. And there's all sorts of other stuff that goes with that, including what Cosby became down the road. And and again, not to dismiss it out of hand, but we're focusing on the moms today. Mm. Um, But you have Felicia Rashad who is, a powerful actress who was able to bring so much to this role. The sh- when the first show first launched, they had four children. And then in the second season, they, they let you know, Oh, there was a fifth child who was away at college. Yeah. So, they all of a sudden suddenly introduced Sandra. Yeah, there's a five kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's uh, there. Oh, the other thing yeah, I should mention so, about Sandra, by the way, she was yeah. only about two or three years younger than Felicia Rashad. Yeah. No kidding. But anyway. so, yeah. So you have this show where it's a mother of five and yet it's still uh, a successful professional yet she's still able to do all the things you would expect a mom to do in real life and on, and on TV, which includes running the household and parenting the children and providing, I mean, you got to think the lawyer and the doctor are making pretty good money. So both mm-hmm. are providing amply for this family, um, but still doing all the quote unquote mom stuff. They didn't have a maid, which you would think, oh, well, you know, they're rich. Let's get them a maid. And it's like, or nope. even a nanny, nothing. nothing. Yeah, there yeah. Was, that was one of the things that, again, the show never leaned on that crutch. It was Despite the fact that these parents are professionals and have very demanding jobs, they always made time for the children and they were always there and you see them having meals together, you see them preparing meals. And so this this was an eye-opening experience for me as a 10-year-old white kid who had only ever seen, you know, rich white people on TV. Here's a very affluent family of color. And I got to think that for a lot of people, they're looking at this show in the 80s and going, this is the first time I'm seeing people like me on the screen portrayed in this very positive way. And so it's a very powerful show and it, it broke a lot of barriers and it, and here's his mother who is every bit as strong and powerful as every other mother on every other show, if not more so because she's got this fantastic job and this huge family and has still been managed to keep it all together. You know, I think I, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, like she doesn't have a maid or anything like that. Um, Cause the thing is, she not only built this amazing career for herself, man, she ran one strict household. Absolutely. Like, oh, man, she was the epitome of a mother that ran a tight ship. And, like, oh, she was strong. Like, she was loving. She's beautiful and strict. But the thing was, she she wasn't just strict with her kids. She was strict with her husband, too. Remember, he would always try to eat the hoagies, and she would yeah. always keep it like, you're not eating that, that sort of thing. It was clear that she ran that family. She, she wore the pants in the she family. She was in charge. Yeah, there was Absolutely. no doubt about it. Like, and the yeah. way she would put Elvin in his place whenever he'd spew some misogynistic crap, like, you do not mess with Claire Hextable, baby, yeah. you know? But, uh, like, the thing is, like, she knew where she came from, and she knew where she wanted her family to go, and she always made sure the ship was pointed in the right direction. So, yeah. I don't know. I thought she was just great. 
I, I she was just an iconic '80s TV mom. I, for all the right reasons, I agree with everything you just said. So yeah, right. Number two, who do you got? All right, all oh, right, because we both had number three the same. Both of us agree right. on that one. Yes. All right. So now we're getting to the top two. These are these are clearly two of my favorite TV moms, just for me personally. So my number two pick is Beverly Goldberg, played by uh, Wendy McLendon Covey uh, from The Goldbergs. And so this is a show that's still on the air. So it started in 2013. They're in their eighth season. They're still doing new episodes. And this is loosely based on uh, the life of the main character, Adam Goldberg, who is the producer, writer and producer of the show. And it's sort of him looking back to the 80s and retelling the stories of his life. It's basically it is the equivalent to this what the 70s shows was where they they ran it in the late 90s early 2000s and they applied some of the lessons of today but they they framed it in that 1970s same idea with this show it takes every at the beginning of every episode he goes uh it was march 10th 1980 something because they never nail down exactly when but it's clear that this is always supposed to be sometime in the 80s and so they have a lot of fun with the show leaning on a lot of the 80s tropes Things like the music and the fashion choices and the cars um, and and some of the pop culture stuff. But the mom still uh, holds up, even though she's in, you know, in this 80s show, she's she's a good mom for all the right reasons. They call her a smother because she's always smothering the children like she's the the typical helicopter parent. She can't help but be. Uh, in the way of the children, but in the best possible way, because she's always got the best intention. I pulled a line from one of the um, one of the fan sites that described her. It says she's an overbearing, hyper emotional shopaholic with no sense of boundaries and a big mouth that she's not afraid to use. And <clears throat> this to me reminded me a lot of my mother as well in that, you know, push comes to shove. If, it, if yelling is required, yelling is going to happen. If bad words are required, bad words are going to happen. And that's one of the the sort of the shticks with Beverly Goldberg on the show is in every single episode, there's at least one time where she uses a swear and it's bleeped and it adds so much humor to the character. It's clear that like, like we've said with so many of these other TV moms, she runs the house and she always wants to have the best interests of the kids at heart. But the humor arises from the fact that she, because she has no boundaries, she's going over the top in every episode to try and do what she thinks is best for one or more of the children to hilarious effect. But by the end of almost every episode, you realize that although the kids initially are resistant and they want nothing to do with mom and they want nothing to do with mom's help, in most episodes, they end up needing mom's help in some way to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to do in that particular episode. And it just reinforces that even a mother that's overbearing still loves the kids and still is trying to do the best and um, always has what's best at heart for the children and the family. And in this is one of the um, this is one of the only examples. I think this uh, of the, the mothers on my list so far. This is the only example of a mother so far that is just a quote unquote housewife. She's a full-time stay-at-home mom that's there to raise the kids, which again is a reflection of, of what you would see in the 1980s. Um, and again, because it leans on uh, the, the writer's real life, this is how his real life mother uh, was. But it's um, I think it's important to show that, you know, just because you're a stay-at-home mom doesn't mean you're not doing a, a full-time job and it doesn't mean that you're any less uh, a, a, of a mother to the children. So my number two pick, Beverly <clears throat> Goldberg from the Goldbergs. So I've never seen the Goldbergs, but I've heard about it and it's a throwback show to the eighties. I've heard all about it, but I've never watched it. I should give it a try sometime. Between okay. the seventies show and uh, between that seventies show mm -hmm. and the Goldbergs, we've, we've got eight, eight seasons of a show taking place in the seventies eight seasons of a show taking place in the eighties. I got to think there's going to be at least a few episodes in those 16 seasons that you're going to enjoy. I would think so. Um, so my number two, you know, when you think of iconic TV moms, there's probably none more representative of sort of that typical American down home mom than Marion Cunningham from happy days. She just looked the part. She acted it too. And the thing was, she was like loving and she was always there for her husband and kids. And like she represented a different time in America. 
the show ran during the 70s, but like a lot of the shows we've talked about, you know, or you've talked about mainly, it took place before. It took place in the in the 50s. And let's be honest, you know, back in the 50s, women were not considered equal partners in a marriage for the most part. But that wasn't the case here with Mrs. C. You know, like she would stand up to Tom Bosley. She would call him out. She would stand up for her feminist beliefs. Uh, and she was his equal. And that might have partly been because the show was produced in the 70s instead of the 50s. But I'd like to believe that it was because Marianne Ross was a strong wife and mother. And the thing is, all this craziness was always going on around her. She was always the rock in the middle. She grounded everything in that show. And not only was she a mother to her kids, but remember, they took in the fawns as part of the family. And never forget, she was the only person on the planet that was allowed to call Fonzie by his first name, Arthur. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah. So she is my number two, Marion Cunningham. Loved I, I'm shocked that she's not your number one. Yeah. I have, I, unless you're putting your real mother in there as number mm-hmm. one, I have no idea where you're going next. Number one should be a shock, I think. Yeah, it's going to be for sure. Yeah. Okay. Number one? My number one, a little bit of an unconventional choice in that she's not real. My number one choice is Marge Simpson, voiced by Julie Kavner from The Simpsons. Wow. The show's yeah. been on the air 34 seasons. Unbelievable. Still running strong. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. Started in 1989. And I don't think there's a person listening to this podcast that has never seen The Simpsons. So I think everyone Talking can relate about to this. spinoffs, by the way. It was a spinoff from the Tracy Ullman show. In a way, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, what can I say? What can I say about Marge Simpson that you don't already know? <laughs> so again, fat husband, skinny wife, as we've seen yeah. with some, and the Goldbergs, fat husband, skinny wife. Like oh, all yeah. my shows are like this here. Um, Marge Simpson has these, uh, has the three children and obviously Homer, the ridiculous husband. Uh, she is the, the essentially the rock, just like you said with, with Mrs. Cunningham, she's the rock. She's the most grounded of all the characters. Uh, while the kids often will do wacky things and the husband does crazy things, it's usually Marge Simpson that sort of grounds the episode and brings the family back together. I mean, being an animated show, they can get away with all sorts of crazy antics. But a lot of the shows, they try to ground it in a certain amount of reality. They don't have characters, you know, spouting wings and flying around and shooting lasers out of their eyes and things like that. For the most part, they try to depict the family doing things that real people could in theory do, uh, which I think is part of the charm of the show is that from time to time, they'll they'll go and do the spectacular things like the Treehouse episodes, the Treehouse of Horrors mm-hmm. at Halloween, where they go above and beyond and they do their parodies and that. But the week to week shows, despite what some people say, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. I, I challenge you to go back and watch because I don't think a lot of people, at least my age, still watch this show. I've started watching it again every week the last couple of years, and it is every bit as strong now as I feel it ever was. Yeah. I, I'm sure that wow. the quality has dipped over time, but um, but no, I mean, Marge Simpson is is the matriarch of the show. Like she she sees the best in her husband who is – who are we kidding? He's a simple guy mm-hmm. who maybe isn't the smartest guy and he makes a lot of mistakes and she always forgives him and she always expresses her love for him and very much so with the children. Bart Simpson always getting into trouble. She's always the one that stands up for him. She always loves him. She, you know, she always calls him her special little guy. She makes sure that the family always has food on the table that they're always, you know, she prepares the meals. She makes sure that they get out the door to go to school on time. She makes sure they go to church every week. Like she is the the guiding force of this family. And in those, in the, the episodes where she is removed from the family and there have been a fair number of them, the family quickly goes to chaos. Like without her, this family wouldn't survive. And they show this probably once every couple of seasons. And they're absolutely right. She is absolute, the glue that holds this family together. And she, you know, she does everything she can in in all the right ways to do it. And I think Marge Simpson is is the mom that every mom needs. Well, okay, I'm not a mom, so I can't really say this, but I see Marge Simpson as being a mom that other moms can look to for inspiration and potentially try to say like, hey, if I can if I can emulate some of what I see her doing, I think I'm going to do a good job. So my number one pick, Marge Simpson. I like it. Uh, I used to always like. When Marge would show her displeasure with something, it was always, yeah, the groan. <laughs> yeah. It was so, so funny. Um, it, it's funny you mentioned that The Simpsons is still strong after all these years, 34 years, right? 
Yeah. Um, I used to watch it back in the 90s. I thought it was quite good. Um, but I haven't watched it in years. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's, you know, still going strong, but uh, you're saying it's still as good as it ever was, right? Yeah, I, I, I especially these last couple of seasons, I've really started to get back into it. Because honestly, Sunday night, you get all of the animation. Like I watched Family Guy, and I watched Bob's Burgers, and I used to watch American Dad. And that was where my, my heart was. That was where my interest was. And I wasn't watching The Simpsons. And I found the quality of those other shows, in my opinion, has dipped a little over the last couple of years. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go back and give The Simpsons a try. And I don't know if it's just the absence of the show from my life, but going back to it and and watching these new episodes, they're very good. They're really, really good. Like I, I'm really enjoying them. And so I, I would recommend people who maybe haven't watched newer episodes in a while, give it a try. You might be very surprised at how much you enjoy the new episodes. Well, speaking of surprise, <clears throat> my number one mom, my number one TV mom might be a little bit uh, surprising. And you mentioned you weren't sure who it was, but I think she embodies everything that a truly great mom should be. And that's Anne Romano from One Day at a Time. So Bonnie Franklin, God, she was fantastic. And, and, and the thing was, she was more than just a mom. She was divorced. She was juggling raising two teenage daughters with her career. She had her own love life, you know, her feminist convictions. And the thing is, I, I think a lot of people don't think of Bonnie Franklin as this gorgeous Hollywood bombshell. And that's a bit of a shame, actually. Because I mentioned, you know, just previously that I've gone back and I've been watching a lot of these old shows on my new smart TV. And I think, you know, as I reflect on it, I I think I also tended to remember Bonnie Franklin as being very plain, very plain in her appearance. And that's just not very fair to say, you know, like I'm just I'm just being honest because that's the way I always remembered her. But let me tell you, I was wrong. Like Bonnie Franklin was one of the most beautiful women on television and the thing is she was smart and she took no crap from anyone and she was just this gorgeous woman and that was never given her due whether it was the actress Bonnie Franklin or the character Anne Romano at least I don't think that she was ever given her due and if you think about it the early seasons they paired her up with Richard Masser you know like she's way out of his league just like all these other moms right and, and when we talk about groundbreaking stuff, like there was a lot of groundbreaking going on in, in, in TV in Hollywood in the 70s, but probably none more than Anne Romano. Like I remember it was a big deal. She used to swear on the show. She would say damn and hell. But by the way, swearing in the 70s TV, much more milder than it is by today's standards, you know. But I, I don't know. I, I It just, it always felt like she was just, sort of being put upon nonstop every episode. Like she was dealing with her boss being a jerk and, and this glass ceiling in her career. And then she'd come home and then Schneider would hit on her and then she'd find her teenage daughters got into trouble or something. It just, it never ended, you know? But, and, and the thing is, through everything, she struggled. And I think that's what I liked about her more than anything else was that she wasn't this solid rock character. She struggled. You know, she made lots of mistakes and she questioned herself at every turn. So in a lot of ways, she was probably the most real TV mom that I remember. And I think that's the thing for me. Like, like Anne Romano seemed like the most real depiction of a mother that I remember ever seeing on TV. So for that reason, I think she's the best depiction of a real mom that's ever been on TV. She's my number one. Nice. Good pick. Again, yeah. a show a show that I'm familiar with, but never really watched again, a little before my time. And I'm still I'm still shocked that uh, Mrs. Cunningham wasn't your number mm-hmm. one. Or I, I really yeah. thought that uh, Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch was going to make your list. So you, you surprised me a little there, yeah. Chris, but yeah. in a good way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, as I reflected on it and I made the list, I, this is what the way it made a lot of sense to shake out. But I would suggest if you get an opportunity to go back and watch you know, one day at a time from the 70s. You might be a little shocked. It's it's quite good. It's there's there's a lot going on in that show, and uh, man, she was wonderful. But anyway, uh, on that note, what do you say we have some fun with Caveman? All right, my friend, I'm gonna put you in the hot seat this week. We're talking about TV moms, so I'm gonna make this relatively easy. I usually go easy on you. You're a little bit harder on me. 
but it's all good. Um, well, I mean, if you're going to go to moms from the 70s, I'm going to miss a lot of them simply because I just don't know the shows. Nah, man, this is, this is, um, this is easy. Okay, there's, this sure. is, mm-hmm. I'm spanning the decades here. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the kids. Good boy. Okay. And all you got to do is name the TV mom associated with the kids. Very easy. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Super easy. Okay. Wally and the Beaver. Wally and the Beaver. Uh, that was uh, June Cleaver. Yes. See, Sorry, do you want the name of the show as well? or just No, the you, you just, just name the mom. But it was okay. Barbara Billingsley I, from Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, okay. All Some right. of these I might know the show, but not the name of the mom. So yeah. that was that was a good first one. That though. was an old one. It was, you know, 57 to 63. But see, you got yep. it. Okay. All right. Another easy one. Are you ready? Yeah. Marsha, Jan, Cindy, Greg, Peter, Bobby. Oh, that we just said that. That was the Brady Bunch. What was the mom's name? Carol Brady. The one and only Florence Henderson. All right. This is an obviously easy one for you. Becky, Darlene, and DJ. That was Roseanne. Roseanne Connor. Yes, Roseanne Connor. I would have accepted Roseanne Barr, Roseanne Arnold, or just Roseanne. She's okay. kind of like Cher. Or yeah. Fabian, you know, or Fabio. It is Roseanne. Okay. Jonathan Bauer. Jonathan! Jonathan Bauer. Wasn't that, um, who's the boss? That was uh, Angela Light. Angela, yeah, what? no, it was Judith Light. Angela, I can't remember Angela's. If it was that show, I can't remember her last name. Angela Bauer. Bauer. Angela Bauer. Judith Light, you were right. Who's the boss? Yeah. No, okay. All right. I got half points on that one. Yeah, you, you got to get the mom. Because you know, it's a mom show, right? Mm. All right. Alex, Mallory, Jennifer, and Andy. Uh, yeah, that was Family Ties. Her name was Elise Keaton. Very well done. Okay. Wednesday and Pugsley. Oh, that was uh, the Adams. What was her name? Her name was Morticia. Morticia Adams. Very well done. Yes. Very, very well done. Adams family. Okay. Mark, Brad, and Randy Taylor. Um, I'm gonna, I, I'm guessing that's the tool time show, which I never watched. And, uh, yeah, I never watched it. I have no idea what the mom is. Jill Taylor. Played sure. By Patricia but, Richardson. But that Home was the show, right? What, yeah. Home Improvements. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. the one. From 91 to 99. Never okay. watched the show. Judy and Elroy. Oh, uh, his boy Elroy. That's, uh, the Jetsons. That's, uh, um. Uh, Jane, Jane, Jane Jetson. Ooh, very good. Jane I had Jetson. to sing yes. the song to come up with the name. Very good, but yes, it was <laughs> Penny Singleton played her voice. Okay, very good. All right. Allie Barone, Michael Barone, and Jeffrey Barone. Uh, I I think the Barone family was Everybody Loves Raymond, but... It was. Jeez, I never watched a show. I couldn't tell you what the mom's name was. <laughs> Patricia Heaton played her was Deborah Barone. Sure, if you say so. All right, the last one's gonna be a tough one. Okay. You didn't think you don't think the last few were tough? Well, okay. No, well, you got Jane Jetson. You had to sing the song, but you got it. Yeah, but I need the song. All right. Okay. Carrie Ingalls, Mary Ingalls, and Laura Ingalls. Well, I mean, Ingalls is Little House on the Prairie. Again, a show I never watched, so I, I have no idea what the mom's name was. It was Caroline Ingalls. Sure. Caroline Ingalls, played by Karen Grassle. Okay. Um, not bad. You did pretty good. Yeah, we got quite a few in there. I the ones I didn't know the names of, I at yeah. least knew the show of. You I don't did. think there was yeah. any that completely stumped me. Yeah, I don't think there was any where you're like, I don't even know what the hell that is. So that, you know, yeah. you did well. But I, it was because it was a mom show, wanted to get the name of the mom, obviously, in there. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, um, I got to come up with a movie for next week. I noticed this week that uh, Coming to America 2 debuted on the streaming services. I didn't watch it. Had some people reach out to me. Hey, did you watch it? I'm like, no, not watching that crap. I watched it. No, I'm not. What did you think? <laughs> Terrible. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. If I thought if I'm gonna invest my time, I'll just go back and watch Coming to America again. I'm not gonna yeah. watch that crap. So, but the movie got me thinking. It got me thinking about '80s movies and specifically about Eddie Murphy. So, for my movie next week, I think people think of this as a comedy, and it certainly does have its funny moments. But it plays more like a police mystery with some pretty violent scenes in it too. And that's 1984's Beverly Hills Cop. 
Nice. Good we are, pick. Yes. We are going to come back and do Beverly Hills Cop, baby. It's going to be awesome. So you're obviously up for the challenge. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love this movie. I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time. Me so too. I'm, I'm actually oh. really looking forward to going back. And this is one of those movies where I will stick to my guns, where I believe part two is better than part one. But we'll talk about that more next week. We'll talk about that next week. I thought I remember part two being quite good as well. But uh, no, first one was better. Um, but yeah, so we'll come back next week. We're going to talk about Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.